Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Good morning, good morning, Rolling Hills Church family. What a great morning already. Wow, just the worship and that baptism, amazing. I mean, just seeing the love and seeing the generational impact. I just love this family and so thankful for what God's doing in our church family right here. So welcome everybody on our online campus. Welcome right here in the room that we could come and study God's word together. And welcome back to our series. We're in this incredible series called Masterclass. And we're studying the book of Romans, and I love this book. I mean, it's just unbelievable what God is teaching us as we dive deep into God's Word, and we just see how God loves us, how God cares about us, and what God wants us to learn. Now, we've said this, that every great revival that's taken place in the world has really sprung out of Romans. And so when we are diving deep in here, man, we're seeing God's Word come to life, and I'm praying that revival is breaking out into our hearts in our church, in our community, our country, our world, for the glory of God. And that's what we get to be a part of. And today we come to the halfway point of our series, and we come to Romans chapter 8. Now i got to tell you, Romans chapter 8 may be my favorite chapter in the entire Bible, you guys. So get ready, buckle up, because I'm just telling you, it is awesome. It is exciting. And I, and I hope today you'll kind of underline, maybe you'll bookmark it, maybe just hold on to it. For whatever happens in your life, it is powerful. I mean, somebody once said, right, that Romans is like the gold ring of Scripture because the doctrine, the theology, and then the practicality of how to live out the Christian life. But I think Romans 8 is kind of that diamond on that gold ring. And I remember 23 years ago when I went to buy a diamond ring. And I got to tell you, that was stressful, okay? You know, guys in the room maybe can relate, but I had never been to a jeweler before. And uh, so I'm dating Lisa. She is amazing. I'm in love with her. She's awesome. But I go there to the jeweler, and I didn't know all this about diamonds, right? But they tell you the four C's of a diamond. I learned this there, right? It was cut, color, carrot, and clarity. And so this guy there at the diamond store, you know, he's telling me all this, and I'm like, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> you know, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, yeah, that looks nice. That looks great. And I'm looking at these rings. I'm like, that's beautiful. Yeah, look at that one. And they didn't really tell you about the fifth C, which was cost. That was a big, you know, that was a, kind of a big one right there. Like, oh, well, wait about that one, you know. So you can have my car. I mean, you know, it's like, uh, but it was like the biggest expense. But I wanted to pick out the best for Lisa. And I'll never forget as he 
took this diamond that I was looking at and he held it up to the light and he starts, you know, just looking and saying, look at that. Do you see how it shines? Do you see the different sides as you turn it and you're getting the clarity and the color? I'm like, yes, that's it, you know, and I mean, he had me right there. I, I mean, I was sold, you know, and I'm like, I love Lisa. I love her so much, and and so, man, it was like one of the biggest expenses of my life up to that point. You know, you're getting, scraping every dollar you can. And I'm in ministry. I'm pulling everything together. But I'll never forget going to her that night and getting down on one knee. And opening it up and just going, I love you. I love you. Will you marry me? Right? And praise be to God, she said yes. You know, <laughs> And she said yes. And, 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 man, we just celebrated our anniversary just a couple months ago. And, and this was our wedding picture. And. We are married, and Lisa is still as beautiful today. I just love her more and more. And when we come to Romans chapter 8, you guys, I really feel like it's like God getting down on one knee and just going, here you go. Here's the commitment. And you know, I prepared this whole speech, right? And it's just God, as you just unfold Romans 8, God pouring his heart out and saying, this is the commitment I'm calling you to. This is the invitation for you. I love you. Think about that today. Hey, if you have a Bible, open with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back. Love for you to just go back there, grab one. It's your free gift. Take it with you. But I want you to see this. And maybe if you don't have a, a physical Bible, you get the words, the scripture on your phone. Pull your phone out, right? Go to the Rolling Hills app. If you're online, maybe just pull it out there wherever you are. But I want you to see this today because it's so powerful for all of us. First of all, Romans chapter 8, he starts with therefore. And we said anytime you see a therefore in scripture, you have to say, what's it there for, right? And so the reason it's there is it's tying everything else together. And everything else before this has been talking about sin. You remember, right, Romans chapter 1, we had the sin of the Gentiles as Paul's writing to the church of Rome in this godless place. You think about Roman orgies, you think about the things that were happening with kids and women. I mean, it, was just, it was just atrocious in so many ways. And he's talking about all these sins. And then you go back and you read Romans 1 today and you're kind of like, wow, it seems like our culture, our time. You're like, whoa, look at these sins. It hasn't really changed. Why? Because of the total depravity of man. God is holy. Man is sinful. And we're going to go after the sinful things if that's where our heart is. But Romans 2, he says, well, you Jews who think you're all self-righteous, hold on. The sin of self-righteousness of thinking, we don't need God. I'm better than God. And then he gets to Romans 3 and he said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. In Romans 4, right, he gives examples of Abraham. And he gives an example of David. And he says, hey, these patriarch guys, right, these people in the Old Testament, you thought you know, were so great. They weren't justified by being good enough on their own. They sinned too. But they had faith. That God would redeem, that God would restore. We saw Romans 5, that foundation of faith for us and for our family. Romans 6, right? The wages of sin is death. And then last week in Romans 7, Pastor Jason was talking about this, that, that we still have that sinful nature. Even when we respond to God, there's still that sin that we just like, oh, why do I have that sinful nature with me? And in the light of all that, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What? That is awesome. I don't know if you underline your Bible, but man, underline that, highlight that, star that, whatever you want to do. Because so many people, they all think God's just mad at them. Right? Maybe you grew up in a faith tradition. You would go to church, you would leave, you feel like you just got beat up. You're like, oh man, you know, I, I just got knocked in the face and I'm a terrible person. And you're like, 
No, 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 no. Hold on. There is a holy God, and there is sin, but God says through Jesus, there is now no condemnation. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. He set you free. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son and the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So what that means is God sent his son Jesus, right? Jesus lived 33 sinless years. Jesus was tempted in every way that we were, but he never sinned. And when he went to that cross for you and for me, right, that sinless sacrifice, he took your sins, he took my sins, he took the sins of the world upon him. And that's why he said on the cross, my God, my God, why do you forsake me? Now Jesus takes all that sin and he dies there on the cross, that sin offering And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He goes, man, living for the sin, living for the flesh, that's your old nature. Now you're living. You are different. You are a child of God. Go over to verse 14. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That's who you are. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Now, you remember before Christ, you lived in fear, right? I mean, where's the hope? Where's the help? I mean, we're in trouble. I mean, I mean, really, right? I mean, things fall apart. And you're like, where do I run? Where do I go? You're living in that fear. Rather, now, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba. Abba literally means daddy. Isn't that awesome? We cry, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That's incredible news, right? We are co-heirs, you know? We inherit the kingdom of God. There is a reward waiting for us. All the good things of life that are going to come one day. If he keeps going there, but he, we don't have time to dive into it. But he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us there in verse 18. He's like, look at life. Look at life in the context of eternity. Of the glory that is to come. And then we come to verse 28. And, and if Romans 8 is the diamond, I think verse 28 is the sparkle. I mean, I think it's the one that just like shines. And many of you may know this verse. It is incredible. But he says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Guys, that's incredible news, right? It's not just that I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, you know, when I was 8 or 9 or 10 or 15 or 20 or 21. And then God said, okay, I'll see you in heaven. Now, God's working in your life. God is restoring. God is redeeming. God is using you for his glory. God has a plan and a purpose for you. And we know that. And then verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. Now, next week, Romans chapter 9 is all about salvation, the doctrine of salvation. And it is powerful, so you don't want to miss next week. But, but just look at this. He says, for those God foreknew, Now, God loves everybody, right? The most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
but God also knows who's going to receive him, right? I mean, he is sovereign. He is God. So for those that God knew who would receive him, who would become followers of Jesus, he predestined, meaning he has a plan. He has a purpose. And that is for you to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's the family of God. That's us. That's the church, the body of Christ. We need each other, brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Heaven awaits. And then verse 31. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If the sovereign God of the universe is for you, who can be against you? Why do you have to fear? Why do you have to worry? God is with you. God is for you. In just a minute, we'll read the rest of Romans 8, but I want to unpack this together today. So if you've got a worship guide, there's a place to take some notes. It is so good if you're online or if you want to go to the Rolling Hills app, there's a place to fill in some blanks, you know, electronically right there on your phone. Man, but I would love for you to just kind of get this down today because these incredible truths for all of us from Romans chapter 8. All right, so let's just kind of hold this up to the light and look at it from some different dimensions. First of all, this. There is now no condemnation. No condemnation, all right? Think about that. How incredible that is because so many people think God's just mad at them all the time. You know, God's just waiting for you to mess up. And man, when you mess up, boom, that's it. Car won't start, right? Bad things happen because I did it. I sinned. I messed up. Wait. But he's like, hold on. Wait a minute. Don't look at me like that. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Look at this, though. This is important for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're not in Christ Jesus, yes, there's condemnation. Holy God, sinful man. There is a separation. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. As Christians, we have the imputed righteousness of Jesus to save us from our sins. Righteousness is a huge theme in the book of Romans, right? The righteousness of God. And we see this holy God, and then we look at ourselves and we're like, oh, but I've sinned, but I mess up, but I make mistakes, but I'm broken. You know, and we look at that. But here's the incredible news. It's the imputed righteousness of Jesus. When Jesus died on that cross, he paid the price for your sins. When you accept Christ, when you become a follower of Jesus, as God draws you to himself, God places the Holy Spirit in you. And now when God looks at you, he doesn't just see all the mistakes that you made. He looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Christ in you. You shine like a diamond. You sparkle. He's like, that's it. That's what I see in you. That's the beauty of the gospel. See, even though God does not condemn us, many times we still condemn ourselves. And I think this is the biggest struggle for so many Christ followers, right? Every time we get serious about following God, then Satan comes along and goes, well, hold on. You remember. You remember what you did in college. Mm. You remember what you did? Yeah. You remember what you said? You remember what happened? You remember? Yeah. And you're just like, oh, yeah, you're right. And then we put our heads down and we live defeated lives. We walk out. But what if we could get to the point <laughs> to realize that God's forgiven me? I can forgive myself. <laughs> I don't have to live with that guilt. I don't have to live with that shame that I am a new creation in Christ. 
that I have been redeemed and restored in him. There are consequences of sin. Oh, yeah. There are consequences. But when you come to God, you are seen as righteous. Right? Here's the thing about sin. Sin's always calling to us. It's always beckoning us, right? And we always have to say, get behind me, Satan. Because sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll leave you longer than you want to stay. It'll cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And that's the thing about sin. That's why God is saying, no, 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 no. You don't want to live that way. But once you sin, you turn it over to God. It says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. First John 1, 9, praise be to God. And now begin to see yourself the way God sees you. See, by God's grace, by God's grace, we are set free from sin and death. <laughs> that no longer defines me. That no longer has the power over me, the mastery over me. I'm free. You know, it was 1863, right? Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. Praise God, right? And in that one moment, all slaves are set free. But 2,000 years before that, Jesus went to the cross with the Emancipation Proclamation from sin, and that you and I are set free. I'm no longer a slave to sin, but man, I want to live my life for Christ. That is good news. All right, look at this. Through Jesus, we can know God as Abba, that daddy right there, father, <laughs> father. Now, guys, this was radical, okay? It's kind of hard for us to get because we got 2,000 years later, but this was radical. I mean, when you read this verse here, right, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, father. That was just unbelievably radical because, see, it was saying it's not about religion but about a relationship with God through Jesus. The Jews, I mean, they went back, and they were carved out in the Old Testament as the people of God. Right? There they are, the children of God. But what happened then is they began to make it about religion. 613 laws in the Old Testament, and they thought, man, if I just keep these laws, then somehow God will accept me. And God's like, I've already accepted you. I want the relationship with you. I'm giving you boundaries. I'm giving you parameters, but I want you to fall in love with me. And after a while, right, it became about the law instead of about God. They lost the relationship. And I think that can happen so many times today. We could get in and we're doing our deal, man, and I'm just trying to be good. And I'm trying to let my good outweigh my bad. And maybe God will accept me. But, man, we lose out sometimes on the relationship. And we forget that God's drawing us to himself and saying, I care about you. Follow me. Trust me. Every day, every moment, I want to have a relationship with you. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, our Father. Remember, the Jews, they would have never called God Father. You don't see that in the Old Testament, right? I mean, they had this all, this reverence for God, which is important. But even the name of God, Yahweh, they wouldn't put the vowels in Yahweh because they didn't want to misspell God's name and God be mad at him because he took his name in vain, right? So it's just Y-H-W-H, and we don't even know how they would spell it back then. And so when they came along and Jesus says, call God Father, they were like, whoa, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, that God wants a relationship with you. See, some people will say all religions are the same. They're not. All religions are not the same. Christianity is different. Because if you look at other world religions, their supreme being is unknowable, unapproachable, unpleasable. But Christianity is the sovereign God saying, listen, I want to adopt you into my family. I want to have a relationship with you. Jesus, pray, our Father, like, why? So we have been adopted into the family of God. 
Guys, that's incredible news. You've been adopted into the family of God. You are a son or a daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are a son or daughter. You know, when you're adopted, right, you have the same rights as the biological child. You have the same rights. You're adopted into that family. And that's what we see at the family of God. God has an incredible promise to his children to be your father. I remember a couple months ago, we had our verses, our big men's event, and, and it was awesome, and it was amazing, and, and man, uh, Ryan Smith shared a story, and Dan Alexander, Mike Fisher, but I remember Jeff Foxworthy, and Jeff Foxworthy was talking, and, and Jeff Foxworthy, who's hilarious, right? I mean, the guy is so funny. I mean, and we were just dying laughing, and then he took a turn, and he said, guys, let me make this personal. He said, I've been in a men's group for 20 years, right? And I've had guys around me, and walking with me, and he said, but really, my defining moment in my life came when I was 12. And we were talking a little bit about afterwards that night, and he said, you know, my dad wasn't really around growing up. He said, my dad just kind of took off, and I just found myself alone. And he said, but at the age of 12, I decided to make God my father. And I entered in that relationship, and I just said, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you all the days of my life. And he goes, I could have never dreamed what God was going to do. And now here, 50 plus years later, here I am. I've just seen God do amazing things. But he said, that was the defining moment for me. Maybe today is that defining moment for you. That God has a promise for you that he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Maybe you didn't have a great earthly dad. Listen, I'm sorry, but don't project that onto God. God loves you. And he is that perfect father. And here's the promise that he has to his children. Here's this promise. That Romans 8, 28. I love this. And we know. Right? We don't just guess. We don't just think. We don't just surmise. No, we have confidence. We know that in all things God works. That God hasn't given up on us. That God hasn't walked away from us. That God, when we are a child of God, that God's always working in our lives. And he works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. Now notice it says, right, for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That God's always working in your life. Also notice this. Notice it does not say all things are good. Because there's things in life that are bad. We live in a broken, fallen world. When Adam and Eve sinned, when man sinned, right? All of a sudden, death, decay, abuse, all these things entered in this world. There are hardships. There are horrible things that happen. All things are not good. But... In all things, God works for the good. That God is always working in your life. That God's always working in your heart. John Stott, he said this, also R.A. Torrey. But he wrote, Romans 8, 28 is a soft pillow to lay your tired heart. It's a soft pillow to lay your tired heart. And maybe you're tired today. Maybe you feel like you've been fighting battles, man. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's fear. I don't know. But man, come today and just say, God, I want to I lay my heart right here. I want to rest. I want to rest in your sovereignty. I want to rest in the sovereignty of God over my life. You know, in the Old Testament, one of my favorite people is a guy named Joseph. And, and Joseph was a great guy. I mean, he had a great relationship with his dad. In fact, a little bit too much because his dad kind of made him his favorite. And he had these 11 brothers who got really jealous of him. In fact, at 17 years old, his brothers sold him into slavery. They saw, I mean, thanks brothers, you know, <laughs> you're great brothers, right? I mean, just see that, and that's what happens with jealousy. It just takes you further than you want to go, right? It's that whole sin thing. 
And so they sell him into slavery at 17. Can you imagine? We got a lot of teenagers in here. Can you imagine at 17, you're separated from your family, separated from home, separated from everybody you know, and he's taken off. And he goes down to Egypt, and he's a slave in this guy Potiphar, Potiphar's home. And Potiphar was a bodyguard for Pharaoh. And, and so there he is in the home, and he's just like, man, I can't believe this. I can't believe my life. God, where are you? Right? I'm supposed to be a child of God. Where, where are you? And here he is, a slave in that home. And then, to make matters worse, Potiphar's wife begins to check him out. And she's like, oh, wow, you're pretty good looking, right? And so she starts hitting on this guy Joseph, right? And here he is trying to do the right thing and just do his job. And he's like, no, 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 no. I don't want to sin against God. I don't want to get sin against my master. No, right? You know, you, you stay away. You know, and, I, and every day she's hitting on him. Finally, one day he finds himself alone in the house. And he's like, uh-oh, right? And she's back there. And she's got rose petals. He's like, uh-oh, this is getting out of hand. And, and she comes after him. And, like, he takes off and he just runs. And she grabs his robe and he takes off out of the house. And, and then she turns around and started, goes to Potiphar and says, hey, he tried to take advantage of me. And Potiphar's so mad, and he has him thrown into jail. And Joseph's like, I didn't do anything wrong. What is going on? God, where are you? Do you see what's happening? From 17 to 30, 17 to 30, 13 years, he finds himself either as a slave or in prison. And he thinks he's just going to rot away. But God, <laughs> but God, while he's in jail, there's these two guys who worked for Pharaoh, and they're in jail. He interprets one of their dreams, and then Pharaoh has this dream, and they finally say, hey, there's a guy in jail who knows how to interpret dreams, and Pharaoh goes, go get him. Joseph comes out, and he says, can you interpret this dream to Pharaoh, the biggest kingdom in the world at that time, right? And Joseph goes, no, I can't, but God can. Let me give him the glory. God can. And he interprets the dream. He says, Pharaoh, here's what your dream means. It means there's going to be seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt. There's going to be crops. There's going to be all kinds of harvest. But you better store it up because your dream means there's going to be seven years of famine. And everything's going to just turn to dust. And people are going to die if you don't make provisions now. And Pharaoh goes, look, obviously God's with you. Why don't you become the second in command and run all of Egypt? So from 17 to 30, he thinks he's wasting away. At the age of 30 now, he's in charge of all of Egypt at that time. Whoa! God hadn't left him. God hadn't given up on him. Then his brothers show up. His brothers show up to get food, right? Because they're hungry. They're in the middle of this famine. And Joseph has this opportunity right there to get revenge. Right there to go, look what you did to me. But he doesn't. Genesis 50, 20. Here's what he says. He says, guys, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. The saving of many lives. God had a bigger plan and a bigger purpose for my life. Guys, listen, maybe right now today, maybe right now today you're in that 13-year time. Maybe right now today you're just kind of going, God, where are you? You know, I, I, I want to be married or I want to be remarried. I, I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I've been trying to do the right thing. And God's going, hold on, trust me. Or maybe you're just going, God, where are you? You know, financially, I thought I'd be in a different place or a different spot or with my job or with my career. God, wait, and God's going, hold on. I'm not finished with you. I've got a plan that will blow your mind, but you hang on to me. You stay faithful to me because I'm always working for your good. Whew. Can you hold on to that today? Can you trust that today with your child? Can you trust that today, your life? 
Man, what a promise. What a promise. Look at this. Christians should be looking more like Jesus. Christians, as a Christ follower, you should be looking more like Jesus. That's what he says in verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also had a plan. He had a purpose. And that is to be conformed to the image of his son. See, the goal of a Christian is to look more like Jesus. The goal of your life, if you're a Christ follower, is to look more like Christ. And what did Jesus look like? Well, Jesus served. (laughs) Jesus loved. Jesus forgave. Jesus offered grace. Now, Jesus spoke truth. But Jesus wasn't a slave to fear. Jesus wasn't always worried. Jesus wasn't always in a hurry. Jesus cared about people. And in your life, are you looking at your life and going, man, that's my goal. See, a lot of times we look at the world and we go, man, my goal is to have X number of dollars in my retirement account. My goal is to have this in my family. My goal is to have this in my career. My goal. But, but hold on. I mean, God's going to take care of those things. But make my goal to look like Jesus. Let me follow him. See, heaven is not the goal. For the Christian, it's our reward. <laughs> a lot of times people go, well, I'm just living for heaven. And I'm like, well, heaven's going to come, right? I want to be living for Jesus. The reward is going to be there. Heaven's going to be incredible. I mean, don't miss that, right? Don't miss how awesome heaven's going to be. No more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more sin. But until then, the goal of your life is to look like Jesus. See, God's desire for your life is not simply to make you happy. Although that happens. Being a Christian is incredible, right? I mean, it's awesome. C.S. Lewis right? Surprised by joy. He's like, I was an atheist. I didn't realize that as a Christian. I mean, it's incredible. It's awesome. But God wants to make you holy. Holy means to be set apart. It means to be different. That's why God gives you the Holy Spirit in your life, to convict you, you know, to encourage you, to comfort you. So here's the question. Are you looking more like Jesus? I mean, think about your life. Over the last year, over the last two years, five years, ten years, fifteen years, are you looking more like Jesus? Not that you're perfect. None of us are. How about this? Are you looking more like Jesus in your marriage? Are you looking more like Jesus as a parent or or grandparent? Are you looking more like Jesus with your friends, with your roommates? Are you looking more like Jesus with your siblings? Okay, now it's getting hard, right? (laughs) Are you looking more like Jesus, right, in your workplace? Are you looking more like Jesus in every area of your life? Is that the goal of your life? And then he comes back, and look at this dimension of Romans 8 as he comes toward the end of Romans 8. Hey, live a victorious life in Christ. I mean, this is this beautiful love letter, man. This is this beautiful, he's like, look what I have for you. Look what I have for your life. Live victorious. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? God's like, if you've made a commitment to me, I am with you. I am for you. Don't live in fear, but live with boldness. Which one of these characterizes your life? If you were to think, man, look at my life, look at my thoughts, look at where I've been. And there's times we need a healthy fear, right? There's times when we go, okay, but man, am I growing in my confidence And we know. Am I growing in my trust? Am I growing in my faith? Look at that. With God on your side, you are more than a conqueror. And that's what he says toward the end of Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God's like, think about it. If I gave my own son for you so that I could spend eternity with you, don't you think I'm going to take care of everything else in your life? Do you think I'm going to be able to handle those things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Woo! What a truth. And what a God. That's the God who loves you. Guys, Romans 8, Romans 8, it starts with no condemnation, and it ends with no separation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and no separation once you're in, once you're His. You know, there's a lot of people today who just kind of want to date God. You know, God, I want to have you over here just when I'm in trouble. But I'm going to go and live out. I'm going to flirt with the world. I'm going to go run after the world. I'm going to go and try to find success and fame and fortune and influence and all these things over here. And God, I just kind of want you over here a little bit. And God's going, no, 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 listen. Listen. I don't want to date you. I want a committed relationship. I want a committed relationship. And to me, Romans 8 is just like God getting down on one knee before you. And saying, I love you. I love you. And I want to spend eternity with you. Will you receive that promise today? Would you receive that truth today? That you're his. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Can you just picture God coming to you today? Maybe today... You just go, you know, I've never fully accepted Jesus. I've never fully given my life to Christ. And today, God, I hear it's about love and I, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sins. I want to live my life for you. I want to make a commitment today to you. Maybe today, you just want to renew your vows, right? Maybe you made a commitment when you were 8 or 15 or 21, but, but today you go, you know, I've kind of drifted. I've gone the way of the world. I've kind of walked away. Today I want to come back to my first love. God, I want to live the rest of my life for you. I want the rest of my life to be the best of my life. Maybe today God's saying it's time for you to show that love. Maybe in your marriage. Maybe with your other relationships, 
maybe in your life, maybe in your heart, to say, I am going to be bold. I'm not going to live as a slave to fear. I want to live the life, the victorious life, God, that you've given me. I don't want to be defeated. I want to trust. I want to follow. I want to live every day, every breath, every moment for your name and for your glory, God. For whatever days I have left on this earth, let me live it for Jesus.